thank you so much for joining us this, this third week of Advent as we're unpacking uh, the, the theme of love and the love that the Father has for His children uh, as Christmas is quickly approaching. And, and if you're anything like me, with Christmas almost being here, you're still finishing up the last little details of Christmas. Uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but we've, we've been... The, the wave of Amazon packages has started uh, the barrage upon our door. Um, and, and honestly, for me, the, one of the best things about being a, a parent at Christmas time is the excitement of giving gifts to my children. I remember that excitement of being a child and opening the presents, but now watching my children open theirs, there's just so much more excitement there. But this week, as I was even thinking about these gifts as they're coming in, I started on just thinking about the Word itself or what a gift is. And, and maybe this is an argument of semantics, but the way that I see it, if something is a present, it feels more like an obligation or a duty. You go to a birthday party, you bring a birthday present. You go to someone's wedding, you bring them a wedding present. It's just something that you're obligated to do. But gift has a connotation of affection and compassion that when someone is lacking, that you gift them something. That the very giving of a gift shows that there's a a love behind it, a a, a compassion and and an affection motivating it. And this is the mindset that I went into reading this passage that we're unpacking today in in John chapter 3. That God's love motivated him to give the gift of his son. And this passage begins with one of the most famous, if not the most famous, verse of Scripture of, uh, of John 3.16. But it's funny because you always just hear John 3.16 by itself. You don't hear the rest of the, the passage because John 3.16 is the what of God's love? But 17 through 20 is the, or 17 through 21 is the why. It unpacks why God did what He did. And so it's only fitting that this week of the, the Advent uh, theme of love that we look at both the what and the why of God's love for His people, and spe- specifically what it calls His people to. Because I'm a firm believer that God's love calls all believers to live holy lives. And that's a very high standard. Scripture does not call uh, God's people to be good people, quote-unquote. To just be a good person is not enough. Uh, Scripture does not uh, call God's people to be legislators of morality and to convince everyone else, well, what we believe is right and you should live the way that we do. That's not what Scripture calls us to. Scripture calls God's people to be holy people. As the the end of the passage says, to do what is true and to live in the light. And I'm sorry, but I cannot say that without having DC talk in the back of my head. And I'm singing it right now in my head. And if you're not familiar, you missed out on a wonderful, wonderful part of the 90s. But (laughs) you had the tape? Love it. 
But here's the thing, because holiness is not something that you can do on your own. It's not something that you achieve or reach in your own ability, which is why John is pointing you back to Christ. He's saying, look at these things. Look at God's love. And he's saying, remember these things. And I'm going to boil it down like a good Presbyterian pastor into three points. Uh, And so in verses 16 through 17, uh, John is calling you to remember the gift that you believe in. In verses 18 through 19, to remember the judgment that you began in. And lastly, in verses 20 through 21, to remember the light that you should be in. Before we go any further, let's pray and, and ask for God's anointing on His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time together this morning that we can sing praises uh, to, to Your holiness, to, to Your goodness and who You are. That we can come together and worship You. And so we pray that in this time together that as we uh, sit at the foot of Your throne and, and receive Your Word, that God, that You would pour out Your Spirit in this place. God, I confess the brokenness of my own heart and my inability to be a holy person. And God, I need You to speak through me to communicate Your truth to Your people. Be with us now in this place. And speak to us the power of Your love. pray this in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier, with Christmas almost here, uh, there's just that lingering thought in the back of your mind of, of gifts and having all of the gifts ready that you want to give to your loved ones. And so what better way to start than to focus on remembering the gift that you were called to believe in. And so in verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Like I said before, this is one of the most, if not the most famous verse that there is. You always uh, see it on TV at basketball games or football games. There's someone holding up the sign or, or maybe in the background of a parade, someone holding up just John 3.16 in the hopes that maybe someone watching will say, hey, you know what? I'm going to look that verse up and change my life. And it, which it, I find humorous, but there, there's always just that connotation of people are, are just using every opportunity they have to share this verse with people because of the power of what God's love means. But so many times I've heard the focus on this verse focusing on the world, that God so loved the world, that God just loves everyone so much that everyone's going to come running into the church and everyone's going to say, you know what, God, your love is just greater than we could imagine. Which is true. But the emphasis in this verse is not on who God is loving, but it's the what that God did. The emphasis of this verse is that God so loved. He didn't just like people. He didn't just say, yeah, I'll let it slide. God so loved that He gave His Son. Even just the, the, the phrasing of this verse, it, it, it connotates that imagery of, of, a, of, of a poet for writing from the heart of a lover to his beloved, saying, I will give you my heart. And we read this verse and we see God saying, I gave you my son. The passion 
of a lover giving this beloved gift. And it says that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This here is an important qualification. Like I said before, this verse is is often used to show that God just loves everyone so much. But yet there's this important qualifier in here that says that whoever believes in this gift that God has given, those are the people that will receive eternal life. And I know it's hard. Even as someone preaching the Word, it's hard for me to even say that. That God's love, even though it has the power to save everyone, it's restricted to those who believe. In fact, Jesus Himself says just a few chapters later in John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus, God in the flesh, Himself is saying that this isn't for everyone, but whoever looks on the Son and believes in Him, not believes in moral goodness, not believes in being good enough or doing enough nice things, whoever believes in Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, whoever believes in Him receives eternal life. Jesus' job, His point, was to redeem God's people. In verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to point fingers and say, you know what? You're an adulterer. You're not allowed in. You know what? You lie too much. I'm not going to let you in. Like, he didn't come casting, casting blame and, and saying, these are the walls that I'm putting up to keep you out of God's kingdom. Jesus came to bring people in and to redeem God's people. The problem is, the law is what already condemned people. Long before Jesus set foot on earth, God's people were already condemned because of sin. The law is what points, you, points out where you yourself fall short of God's holiness. And yet Jesus, the gift of God's love, the display of God's love, salvation is through Him. And through Him alone. Salvation is not found in the law. It's not found by being an obedient child. Salvation is found only through this gift that God has provided. And whoever believes in Him shall not perish. But then John moves from the gift that you were called to believe in and calls you to remember the judgment that you began in. Because it's not just enough to tell somebody that God is offering you salvation, but you have to be told what you are being saved from. If you do not realize that you are in danger of eternal condemnation, 
salvation doesn't make sense. And so verse 18 says that whoever believes in Him is not condemned. And that is one of the most beautiful and encouraging things that you can ever hear. It reminds me of Romans 8.1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I actually used, I had that written on a post-it note. And I had it, eventually the, the post-it note, like the stickiness wore off, and I had it taped to my bathroom mirror because that is one of the few places where I knew that I would see it every single day because I needed that reminder for my own heart. I don't know about you guys, but I am my own worst enemy and my own worst critic, and my heart is quick to condemn myself. I will live in the judgment that I put myself in every single day. And I needed that reminder of God's truth and God's Word and God's forgiveness and mercy to say, you know what? You belong to Him and you are not condemned through Jesus. Scripture says no. If you are in Jesus, you are not condemned. But, I lost my place there, sorry. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There's a lot of this false spirituality going around. And it's not just today. It's, it's always been around. It's just taking new faces and new forms. But there's just this spirituality of not just being a good person, but believe in yourself. You need the self-esteem to lift yourself up. To be the best you now. To live your best life now. To be a good person. And you know what the problem is? All of that emphasis is on you and what you can do. And I don't know about you, but I let myself down far too often to have to rely on my own ability and my own strength. I can't do it on my own. And neither can you. And so whoever has not believed in the Son sits in condemnation because salvation is only found through Him. It's not through your efforts. It's not through your, your abilities. It's not through the things that you accumulate. Salvation is only found in the gift that God has provided in His Son. Verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This light is Jesus. This light has come into the world and yet He was rejected because people loved the darkness. He came literally speaking the Scriptures to His people and they were so wrapped up in their own things, their own idols, their own abilities, their own efforts that they said, no, this, is, this Jesus is not for us. 
And it says, and this is, this, is the, the, this is the heart of the matter. It's not that they just didn't want Him. They didn't like it. No. They loved the darkness because their works were evil. This is not a case of your best life now. This is the natural state of the human heart. You don't have to teach a baby to be selfish and angry. You don't have to teach people to lie and to cheat. It comes naturally because that is what naturally flows from the human heart. Sin is natural to you and to me. And you might even be sitting there this morning saying, well, well, not me because we live in this uh, enlightened, educated, and cultured age where we just know better. I, I know better than these things. I'm, I'm not a bad person. I, I grew up in the church. I was there every single week. I even walked the aisle every chance I got. And God's people in Israel thought the same thing. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And this is the judgment that you were found in. That you didn't clean up enough to, for God to say, you know what, alright, they're, they're clean enough, I'll take them in now. No, in your darkness, your heart was already hardened toward God, and God's love came in the gift of Jesus reaching to you. God's gift of love through Jesus came to free you from your sin and condemnation. Because you were already condemned. And because of that, because of that gift that was given, because of that judgment that you began in, John moves on to call you to remember the light that you should be in. In verse 20, we read, For everyone who does the wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. It's one of the things that I clearly forgot about when we moved back to the Charleston area, but that, that moment in the middle of the night when you flip on the light in the middle of a summer night, and all of a sudden you just see all those cockroaches scatter. And it doesn't matter how clean your house is. You live in the Charleston area. There are cockroaches there. And you flip on that light, and the light comes in, and they scatter because they are exposed. The things of the darkness flee the light because it exposes them. And I'm not saying that you're a roach. Please hear me clearly on that. But that's what the light does to darkness. The light comes in and the dark recesses of your heart want to run and hide and flee because the light exposes them. The light exposes your heart, and Jesus exposes your sin. There's a, a, a pastor and an author named C.J. Uh, Mahaney, and he describes 
that this, this coming or moving toward Jesus as moving closer to a flame. That as you get closer to the flame itself, it becomes brighter and stronger and more intense to the point where it's almost even hurting. Because it shows you the imperfections that you have. And the longer that you do this church thing, the, the longer that, that you, uh, or the more that you learn about who this Jesus is, you're going to see the imperfections in your own heart. You're going to see the areas where you fall short of God's holiness. And so take a moment just to think. Because we all have them. But what are those imperfections that the light is exposing that you're terrified to let be let seen? Is it your selfishness or, or your pride? For me, it's the anger that I never I would never have categorized myself as an angry person. But the, the closer I get to the light, the more I see anger in my own heart. And I wonder, where did that even come from? An unwillingness to trust or a fear of the unknown. What are the things that the light is exposing within your own heart? Because this light came into the world to bring you out of darkness and into His light. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. He comes to the light doing whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy. That these are the, the, the descriptions and the qualifiers of what it means to be a person of God. It reminds me of Philippians chapter 4. Where Paul writes, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That these are the characteristics of the light. These are the characteristics and the qualities of a person who is in the light. And it might even hurt, but to, to have to ask, are these qualifications, are these descriptions describing my own heart? If I were to ask somebody, if I were to show someone this list and say, would you use any of these words to describe me? What would they say? They describe your thought life are the things that you say and do. The things that you talk about. The things that you watch. Again, not to be a, a legislator of morality, but the reality that God has called His people to walk in the light as holy people. And if those words do not describe your heart, where are you? 
This is what the believer is called to do and to be. Because these are characteristics of God Himself. And He's calling you out of the darkness that you were found in. He's calling you out of the condemnation that you were already in. And He's calling you into His light to be holy as He is holy. He's calling you to remember the gift that He gave you. The gift that He called you to believe in. Because salvation is found and the gift of Jesus alone. He's calling you to remember the judgment that you began in because you cannot take joy in your freedom if you do not remember that you were once condemned. And He's calling you to remember the light that you are called to be in. Because as God's people, we are called to be holy as He is holy. And so this Advent season, this, this Christmas, as we celebrate the coming and the birth of the Lord Jesus, I have to ask, will you continue in your own self-reliance and trusting in your own efforts and abilities and trying to be good enough? Or will you accept the love of the Father who loved you so much that He sent His Son as a gift to set you free from sin and condemnation. Which will you choose? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning and we are thankful. God, because Your love reached out to us in our guilt and our condemnation when we were not good enough, You came to us and You gave Your Son to make us Your own. You sent Your Son as a gift to redeem Your people. So God, this, uh, this uh, Sunday morning, this Advent season, God, we sit here and we say thank You for Your love. We, we thank You and we confess that far too often we do not rest and trust in the gift that You gave to us. So God, we pray, destroy the idols that we create in our brokenness as we sit before Your throne. Remind us that You no longer condemn us that You call us Your children. And we are loved because You loved us first. We thank You, God, and we pray this in the victorious name of Jesus. Amen.